Welcome to another episode of Bench Talk. I'm your host, Tom Gerrard. Uh, this week, I catch up with American artist Lisa Condon. How you going, Lisa? I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah, really well, thanks. Thanks for taking the time to sit down and uh, have a chat. Um, I'm excited to talk to you. Good stuff. Yeah, I've been uh, doing my research and you're a very busy person, so uh, I'm really honored to um, have some time to sit down and catch up with you. Well, I love talking to people about what I do, so... Thanks for having me. Cool. All righty. <laughs> so um, you seem to work in a lot of different uh, areas and have a diverse career. Uh, when people ask you what you do, what do you normally tell them? Um, well, my tagline is pretty much artist, illustrator, and author. And in some cases, all three of those things are kind of melded into one. Um, but in some cases, they're fairly separate. Um, and that's why there's like three words that sort of describe what I do. Although I also, you could also say I'm a teacher. So, cause I do a lot of teaching. Um, but I don't, for, for whatever reason, I don't add that onto my description. It would just be too many words. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And do you have a, a favorite one or is it, do you like to just mix it up all the time? Well, I think, um, part of what keeps my job interesting is that I'm, you know, that I'm always doing sort of different things or using my artistic skills in different ways. And, um, that's, you know, like that's sort of what I love about my career. Um, I, I guess like the one descriptor that is the most overarching is artist, but, um, but it looks really different for me than it does for a lot of artists. Yeah. Yeah, because I, sp I speak to artists on a weekly basis and um, on doing my research on you, it's like you're a really, um, I don't know, you're sort of positioned differently to a lot of other artists I speak to. You know, some of the some of the artists are, you know, based solely just on doing murals and other people like focus on galleries. And, um, you know, you seem to have your fingers in a lot of different pies, but they're, they're very different to, you know, your standard artist who has a very solid like studio practice you know you seem to be um you know doing a lot of commercial work and then you know you're doing books as well and also as you said doing a lot of teaching it's um you know it's it's you're in a unique position there's um has a lot of that come from you just like sort of thinking about what you want to do and just pursuing that well you know it's interesting i think that like in the beginning of my career and i'm kind of late to the game in terms of you know, being a professional artist, like I didn't actually start painting or drawing until I was in my early thirties and I didn't start my art career until I was in my late thirties. I'm, um, almost 51. So I've been doing it a while, but compared to most people, I got a little bit of a late start. Mm. So when I was starting out and I'm self-taught. So when I was starting out, I was sort of, you know, I had a job for a while and was making art on the side and then was like, okay, I got, I, I think I love this a lot. I love it enough to want to do it all the time, but I have no idea what I'm doing. Like I had never gone to art school. I had never, I didn't have any mentors or role models for like what it looked like to make a living as an artist. So in the beginning, a lot of the diversifying of my income was simply a way to survive. Um, and ultimately I think it, was then also the way that I started to make a decent money. But in the beginning, it was survival. So 
I was like, okay, I need a, I need an online shop. So I opened an Etsy shop in 2007. And, um, that's like what actually one of my best income streams now, it wasn't in the beginning at all, but you know, I had you have to start somewhere. Um, and I think that illustration work, like being an illustrator was also another way I could make money. I was getting some jobs for clients doing various illustration projects. And I was also having shows and galleries and getting a mural project every now and again. Um, so th- those were some of the ways that I was diversifying and, you know, doing more than one thing in the beginning. And then once I built my skill set and become, became more known and which took like seven years, um, didn't happen immediately. Then other things started happening, like the, the teaching. Um, I started getting requests from some online learning platforms um, to come teach classes for them. So I was really lucky both in that and then also in my publishing contracts with um, book publishers that a lot of those opportunities came to me. I didn't necessarily have to pursue them. Um, and so I, you know, like in 2000. Oh gosh, nine or 10, I started working on a book called Art Inc., which is a book about making a living as an artist. And um, I got to sort of have the opportunity to write down all of the stuff I had learned in the previous few years about um, how I was making a living as an artist. And um, and one of the things I talk about in that book is like not putting all your eggs in one basket, basically. Um, and that diversifying your income streams is a way to survive in the beginning and a way to make more income later down the road. If one income stream dries up or you get bored with it or you decide you don't like it, then there's always other things that you can do. So now I do, I still do a lot of the stuff that I was doing in the beginning. Like I have a shop and I do illustration work. I started licensing my work um, in the early part of my career as well. And then I started working on books, both illustrating other people's books and then writing my own books. Um, And I started teaching classes, both art classes and business classes for artists that came later. But um, it's something that I've done a a lot of since around 2011. And um, I started going on the public speaking circuit. And um, now I, I actually opened a retail shop um, in the front of my studio, which is only open two days a week, but, um, yet another thing (laughs) to add to my repertoire. So, um, I, I, I stay pretty busy and I, I do have somebody who works for me too. So it's not like I'm doing everything myself. Yeah. So like going back to the beginning though, like with, um, like when you, first started you know working for yourself were you sitting there going all right now how can I make some money because I know for me like when I I quit my job and put all my eggs in one basket and said look I just I, my dream is to be an artist so I'm just going to do it because you know I've been painting for 20 years and you know wait for, it's now or never you know but I remember for the first year yeah. I sort of I spent so much time at the laptop just sort of going oh, okay how am I going to make some money but um, over time, you start to sort of, uh, you know, evolve as an artist and work out what's working for you and what's not working for you and also what's fun and what's not fun. And over time, I've, uh, I've started sort of cutting off the things that I don't enjoy doing. Were you doing a lot of things in the beginning that, like, weren't necessarily fun for you and uh, over time you've culled them off? Yes, definitely. I mean, I still probably do a little bit of everything. <laughs> um 
because sometimes opportunities come my way that I, I don't want to say no to, even if it's not my favorite thing in the world, just because it's an exciting opportunity. So I'm still working on like not doing the things that, that I don't like to do. I think that, um, for me, the thing that I, that I have do less of now, almost not at all, um, that I used to do a lot of in the beginning was commercial illustration work. So, um, that's basically how I started my career. I signed with a illustration agent pretty early on and I thought that's how I wanted to make most of my living. And I think I imagined that that was going to be my main income stream. Like I definitely was trying other things, but I, I think if you had asked me, you know, back then, like, where do you see yourself in 10 years? I might have said, Oh, I'm going to be an illustrator who's, you know, working on illustration projects constantly. And there's two things that I learned about commercial illustration. And one is that you have to, you know, you have to really love it because it's hard work. You're, um, compared to being a fine artist, you're, you know, where, where your practice is usually about like making the work you want to make, um, and developing bodies of work based on your own interests and passions and your, you know, the things that you want to create, commercial illustration is like by definition doing work for other people. So people hire you to, to make art for them and they art direct you. And while that can be fun, it also is, um, it's tough. I'm working on a job right now for a big company and, um, I only take these jobs periodically now, but you know, there's a lot of back and forth and a lot of changes and a lot of concepting and a lot of trying to understand what the client wants you to do. And, um, it can be exhausting. And also, you know, at the end of the day, you're not necessarily making a ton of money because you put so much more time into the project than you ever imagined you would just to get the the illustration, right? Mm -hmm. So there's this like part of me that, you know, finds commercial illustration, um, often is that it, that it's exhausting. Um, and it's a lot of hard work. And also there's not a lot of return on investment necessarily. So with licensing or my classes or a lot of the work that I do, even the stuff I sell in my shop, um, I'm making what's called passive income. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing work, but I reaping the benefits of it over time. I put a print in, I make a piece of art. I put a print in my shop and I sell a bunch of prints. I don't sell something once I sell it over and over and over or I make royalties over and over on books and classes. And there's something about that, that, you know, even if, you know, recording the class is a pain in the butt, you know, at least I'm like the, once the work is done, I'm continuing to make money for it. Um, where a lot of work as an artist is like, you make something, you sell it and then that's it. Um, and I think there's a place for that. Like I, I, you know, but I also am always thinking about like, how can I monetize this one thing that I'm doing in multiple ways and make that thing worth my time? Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely get that. Cause I find I'm, I'm painting all the time. Like, you know, everything's a one-off for me, <laughs> but I, I, I like right. working that way. But, um, you know, I, I, I know exactly what you mean because like, I, sometimes I think well, I mean, oh, I'd like to have a print just like, I, I don't even have an online store at the moment. And I'd be good just to have some prints just sitting there just selling and, you know, you wake up in the morning and, you know, things have happened online while you're asleep. 
It's true, but there's also something super satisfying. Like today, I also sold two original paintings, and there's something really satisfying about selling original work when you do sell it. It doesn't happen very often. Any fine artist, you know, who isn't super famous will tell you, like, it's a slog, right? Like, you work really hard on these pieces and you price them for how, what you think they're worth and they don't sell right away. But when you do finally sell it and that piece goes into somebody's home or something, there's something about that that's so much more satisfying than selling a paper print of something to me. So I also think that kind of work is also, you know, while there's not as much of a return on investment, it's also just incredibly satisfying. Yeah. on a certain level too so yeah and also I, I find as well with an original piece you can sell that for a lot more and it might um you know if there's a print run that's limited like uh you know the actual original will you'll get more money from the selling the original than you would off the whole print run sometimes absolutely yeah yeah but um going back to what you were saying about uh working for um clients it's you know, I think when you're in the studio just making work for yourself, you, you're not trying to read someone else's mind. Um, I've, I've found with like uh, client work, you, you can lay in bed at night going, oh, I've, I've done the work now, but I haven't heard back from them. Do they like it or not? I know. <laughs> <laughs> that is the worst. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you, and you feel you've done your best, but you just don't know. There's that great unknown. And it's, uh, um, whereas when you're painting for yourself, it's, and just creating art that you that you know, and all you got to do is please yourself. It's such a great way to create. It's um, it's a good place to do it from. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I I feel like in the beginning of my career, I was constantly struggling with, um, you know, waiting for clients to respond to things and like freaking out, you know, if I didn't hear back right away, um, and. Over the course of my career, I've gotten so used to it that now I'm just like, well, if they don't like it, I'll just start over, whatever. I have a much more relaxed attitude about it. Um, but I also think like the, the the sort of fear never really leaves you. <laughs> you know, like it's always sort of underneath the surface, and that's what makes doing client work really stressful. Um, because even if it's a great client, even if the project is fun, there's always this part of you that's like, what if I can't get it right? Or what if they don't like it? You know? Yeah. And that's, it takes a toll on you for sure. It does. Like I've even got a rule. I don't do commissions because of that reason. But then I still find that I end up doing sort of commissions, if you know what I mean. Like even today I go, I'm going to the studio yeah, and I've got, totally. I've got two pieces to do. They're both works on paper, but it's just from people saying, do me something on paper because they, they don't want to spend the money on, you know, on a canvas. You know, it's like, okay, and now I've got to try and uh, create something that hopefully they like. <laughs> yeah, so, and I think that's the thing about that fine art commissions are really the trickiest in some ways because, you know, illustration work, like, the relationship is set up to like turn in sketches and then like go through rounds of changes. And most of the time you're working digitally. So there's less of a, you know, you can make the changes easily where with fine art, like you're painting on sort of this permanent uh, piece, right. And trying to intuit what the client wants from you. And there's usually less art direction. They're like, Oh, I like this piece and this piece, make me something like that. Um, and it's much more of an investment of time, I think, than illustration work, client work is. I stopped doing fine art commissions um, 
a long time ago for, for the exact same reason as you. Like I found it really stressful. Although recently they're creeping back into my life somehow. <laughs> I don't know what's happening, but yeah. I've said yes to a few recently and they're hanging over my head. Like I haven't even started them because, um, I think there's the part of me that's like, Oh, you know, I gotta make this thing for this person. So, but yeah. when you get it right again, it's like super satisfying. Yeah, it's the same. Like I'm the same. I've got in those two pieces I was talking about. That I'm going to start today. I saw them on my to do list, and they've been. I've I've done about seven pieces, but before I've actually even started them, <laughs> because I, like I'll yeah. get to them, I'll get to them. They're they're just not the fun things to do, even though it's just painting. It's and I love to paint. So, but yeah. it's like this added pressure that you know you're you're making it for somebody else or to please somebody else, and it's such a different way to approach your work. And that's how some people make their entire living is you know like fine art commissions it's kind of crazy yeah um yeah <laughs> i think of the uh, you know the people um on the street like doing portraits <laughs> you know oh, yeah like the like busking like art buskers almost like, yeah man, imagine yeah. that having the client sitting right in front of you and have having their like partner mm -hmm. peer over your shoulder while you're trying to create <laughs> what a nightmare exactly yeah they must love it though because they keep showing up to do it so exactly exactly so was there a lot of work you had to do on yourself um, to build your confidence and self-belief when you, uh, you know, flicked the switch at 40 years old to go full-time artist? <coughs> Excuse me. Yes, definitely. I, um, I talk a lot about um, when I'm talking about the trajectory of my career. I talk a lot about what I call or what a lot of people call imposter syndrome, which is this um, phenomenon, actually, it's a psychological phenomenon that was coined in the 1980s. And it's, you know, it's like where people who are experiencing success, um, uh, feel like they don't deserve to have the success and that it's like a matter of, you know, or a result of luck or whatever, as opposed to, um, deserving it. And I didn't know that's what it was called. I just knew that I was experiencing it. And of course, I thought I was the only person in the world who was feeling this, you know. And I think it's especially prevalent for people who, you know, are self-taught or sort of came into their careers later in life. Like, I kept thinking, well, I've lucked into this. I, I'm, I don't, I'm not actually talented. Like, I, I, you know, I'm just lucky. And, um, you know, big opportunities would come my way or like even when I signed with my illustration agent in the beginning or when I, um, you know, was starting to have things happen in my career, I would say, you know, Oh, this, I'm just lucky. Like, or, or I'd feel a, sh a sense of shame. Like I didn't deserve it. And even though I was excited about it, I also, there was this part of me who, who lacked confidence or who, who didn't really believe that I, that I had talent or that, you know, my work was worthwhile. And the more that I had opportunity, the more that was happening. And I finally sort of called bluff on myself, like, what is going on here? And um, I also started talking openly about it to my friends and found out that I was not alone, that this is something that's really common that people experience when they start to experience success. And so um, I started to become very conscious of it and started to sort of like um, consciously fight those feelings and reaffirm that, you know, I had talent and that I deserved to be in the, you know, having experiencing the success that I was experiencing and that, um, 
you know, I essentially was like, this is bullshit, you know, (laughs) for lack of a better word. Like I can't go on like this because it was causing me so much anxiety. And so I went through this transition period in the middle of, you know, I've been doing this now for almost 12 years. And so at about year six, I started to really make some shifts in my thinking. And every time I started to feel um, that sense of being an imposter or a fraud, I would call myself out on it and really try to shift my thinking. And over the last six years, I've gotten to the place where I don't feel that way at all, except in very rare circumstances. It still happens. And usually they're really high stakes things like giving a commencement address at an art college or something, which I do periodically, you know, cause I didn't even go to art college and here I am like dispensing advice to graduates, um, things like that. I'll have a little tinge of like, Oh, what am I doing on stage? This is weird, you know, <laughs> but for the most part, I've really like been able to work on building my own sense of accomplishment and confidence and I really appreciate how far I've come. So it doesn't happen as often anymore, but if anyone out there is listening and is experiencing that, it's a completely normal thing to experience. Yeah. We've all been there. That's um, Mm -hmm. yeah. I was listening to a a podcast and they were discussing imposter syndrome and they said that um, like they did a survey and it's like uh, 85% of CEOs have imposter syndrome. And then, yeah. and then the other 15% are sociopaths. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, it's, that's how normal it is. Like if you're a sort of normal, sentient, like humble human being, you are going to question um, whether or not you deserve something. I'm not saying that it's a good way to feel, but it's, or that, you know, you, that you should feel that way. It's just that, like, it's just a completely normal thing when you, when good things happen or when you experience success, um, it's a completely normal, normal feeling to have. Yeah, totally. I've, um, I've found myself, uh, in those situations and it's normally when I'm painting in public, like doing a mural or something and someone is like, uh, look, turn around and there might even be just like a little old lady, like standing there watching me or something. It's like, (laughs) it's like, Oh my God. And it's like, hang on, mate, hang on. This is what I always say to myself is you've got this. You know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. If you didn't know what you're right, doing, because- you would never be you'd never be hired to be doing this in the first place. And it's like, all right, yeah, I have got this. And I'll take a deep breath and then just start painting and I'll be fine. It's true. And it's like that little old lady is is like the kind of like symbolism for your own inner voice, right? So it's like we always think other people are judging us. Um you know, it's one thing if somebody comes and watches you paint, who's told you in advance, they're a fan of your work, and they love what you do. But if some random stranger is standing there watching you work, you automatic, we automatically go to the place of, you know, oh, they must think I'm terrible, or, you know, that I don't know what I'm doing. Um, And, you know, I think that's in some that's like us projecting our own sense of insecurity on other people. Um, and it, it really is just about like flipping the switch and just saying like, you know, oh, no, wait, I know what I'm doing. And this person may not like it. And this person might be do it differently if they were going to do it. But I am legit. You know, I got this. Mm. Yeah. It's those people outside of the um, the art world. It's, they're the ones that sort of really shake you up, I find. Like yes. with me personally, it's <laughs> like there's a guy in my studio, he calls them muggles. You know, like in Harry Potter, the people that uh-huh. aren't from the magic world. You know? Yes. And he's yes. like, yeah, those muggles, uh, you know, they just don't get it. It's, um, and they're the, well, you know, chances are they probably do, but because they're not part of that art world, 
and they don't know what you're actually going through, going through, or even doing at the time. Um, they're the ones where you try to sort of almost read their mind and just assume that they don't get it. But you know, when you know, they might walk up to you later on and say, "It's fantastic work. I was watching you paint, and I, I love what you're doing." And but at the time, you're trying to read their mind. It's like the client work all over again. You're trying to read someone's mind, and it just drives you insane. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. So do you feel that, um, you know, starting your career later in life has, um, you know, really helped you figure things out, like having more life experience behind you? Yes, definitely. It's funny you should ask that. About an hour before I hopped on this call with you, I was talking to an old coworker of mine who I hadn't talked to in probably eight, seven or eight years. Um, we were very, we used to work together at the same nonprofit, not-for-profit organization, and we were very close friends and we've stayed in touch on Facebook and stuff, but we have not, um, you know, talked in person in many years. And we've recently kind of reconnected and she said, Hey, let's FaceTime. Let's, let's reconnect. And I was, um, we were kind of catching each other up on everything we've been up to in the last decade, basically. And, Um, she asked me that very question, you know, how do you feel like the work that we used to do together um, has kind of helped you be a better business person or a better artist? And I was telling her that when I first left like the working world, I never imagined that all of the stuff that I did in the working world, like the client communication, the the managing multiple projects, the writing, the email communication, the sort of putting myself out there and pitching myself, like all of the things that in my old job I had to do as part of my job um, would ever come in handy. Um, And I think partly because I started my career when I was older I had all of this working experience, not to mention life experience and perspective, but mostly work experience that helped me so much in ways that I could never have imagined. I think when I left my job to become an artist, I imagined that I was going to sit around every day and like drink tea and listen to music and paint. And while I do a fair amount of that, I also do a lot of project management and time management and um, communication with clients and like, um, executing on my ideas and making things happen and trying to meet deadlines. And those were all things that I learned in my sort of 20 years of working experience before I became a working artist. And I think that's often what's missing for people who are really talented right out of art school, you know, in their early twenties, they just have no work experience. And so this whole idea of running a business or staying organized or managing their time or communicating well and with people is not something they have any practice at. And so I think it stops people up a lot. Um, where to me, that was just, that was the easy part. Like the art making part was the part I needed to work on. And, um, and I really think that benefited me a lot to come into art, having had all of this work experience. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. Like I, um, you know, I I started my art career when I was 38 and um, I was the same. I've had four careers before that. And, uh, you know, I still use all of them in my life. <laughs> They've all, you know, been yeah. diverse, you know. And But every, every, like even jobs I've felt have been dead-end jobs. 
I've taken something away from them and I, I use them in my life. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's that life experience. And now that, now that I'm, you know, an artist full time, it's like, I, st- I just bring all these little, like all these skills and even just knowing how to like get the job done, you know? Yes. Cause I've been in working for big companies and been like heading up a project and had it all sort of on my head and going, shit, I got to turn this around. I got to produce results. And when you're working on your own, it's, you know, you, you have to bring that same mentality into your work sometimes and just, you know, just soldier on and get the job done. You it's know. true. And I, I had this great boss when I was in my twenties. Um, she managed me at this job that I had. I was a project manager and she was a director at this organization. And she taught me so much about how to manage my time, how to, um, you know, set an agenda for my day, how to get things done, how to communicate my progress to the people I was working with so they wouldn't freak out if they didn't hear from me, you know, stuff like that. And I, I still use all of the advice that that boss gave me when I was sort of young and naive. (laughs) Um, I still use that to this day. I mean, it's more ingrained in me. It's like second nature for me to do those things. I don't really even have to think about it. It's just how I operate. But I remember like learning those things specifically when I was young in, in that, in that particular job. And then I learned other things in other jobs that I feel like have come in really useful. Um, cause the people a lot are, are like, Oh, you know, you, how in 10 years did you go from being somebody who had no, experience as an artist and really very little artistic training to somebody who's a super successful artist. And I think some of it is that I draw and paint a lot. So I've gotten really good at it. Um, but I think 50% of it for me has also been all of that kind of work experience and understanding of how important all of that is in what I do. Um, and I think artists who are able to balance both the, um, the art making and that sort of business part and business is a bad word. Like I think it, it actually turns a lot of people off, but it's less business. It's just like getting things done, building relationships with people, understanding how to turn things in on time and what it takes to like manage your time. All of that is for me been just as important in my success as any talent or ideas that I have. Mm, yeah and do you feel that you've um like you've retired now that you don't work for other people if you know what i mean like i i feel that like i was i went for a swim the other day and i was on my way back from the pool and it was at that peak hour time where everyone's racing off to get to work and i saw everyone going to work and it's like oh look at everyone they're all going to work i used to race race for the train like that and now i don't do it anymore because i don't work and I just had that thought in my head. And it's like, hang on, of course, I still work. But I guess to me, it's not work anymore. I just I do what I've always wanted to do or what I've done in my spare time around, you know, going to sit at that desk and, you know, work for someone else. Well, you know, it's funny that you should say that because I just in the last month opened this little shop in the front part of my studio. And it's the first time in my whole art career that I've had to show up somewhere and be somewhere for a certain amount of time. Now, granted, it's my own business. I'm not showing up and like reporting to a boss. But I was reflecting the other day on how different that is for me, even to just have to be somewhere at a certain time. Because like when the shop's open, I need to be there. 
And how weird that was for me, because as you say, like, even though some days are stressful and I have deadlines and in some ways I have like a million bosses, not just one boss, because I work for publishing houses and illustration clients and stuff, you know, most of it is like short term projects or, you know, these sort of impermanent relationships. And for the most part, I'm just working for myself and I love what I do. So it doesn't necessarily feel like going to a job. And just recently I have added this thing to my schedule that feels like showing up to a job. And it's really weird because it's the first time I've done that in like 10 years. So I can relate. Um, but I do also feel like incredibly happy. Like I can go to dentist and doctor's appointments in the middle of the day. I can go get my hair cut. I can meet friends for lunch. I make my own schedule. And for years and years and years before I left my job, I had to be somewhere between nine and five every single day and report to somebody and, um, you know, work towards the collective goals of whatever organization I was working for. And now I get to make all of that up myself. And it really is very, very liberating. Yeah. Yeah. It's great, isn't it? So, um, like your art's amazing. I can see you've worked really hard on, on, you know, developing your career and developing your style and everything. Like, do you have a daily drawing practice or, um, any like daily habits that you, you know, to further your art career? I don't right now, but for years and years I did. So almost since the beginning of my art career, I've given myself some kind of personal challenge every year to, you know, draw something for a period of months or like I did this project in 2011 um, that was called 365 days of hand lettering. So every day I hand lettered something and I was getting into the habit of trying to engage in work that would like develop my skills and keep sort of pushing me out of my comfort zone. And um, I also, at this point in my career, um, it's funny that you should ask because just yesterday I was thinking, I need to start a new personal project. I haven't done one in a few years. I think the last time I did one was in 2016. I had a, I did an entire year where I painted almost exclusively in the color blue, um, except for client work, of course. But like all my personal, personal work, I just use mostly the color blue as like a personal challenge. And I had other challenges that I did before that. And I'll, even if they only last a few weeks, I'll often kind of force myself to do something every day for a period of time. Cause I really do think it is the best way to challenge yourself, to develop your skill and to like build your artistic voice. Um, but I've become so busy lately with so many projects that I've had less time, but I really miss that. And I miss having this focus for a period of time. So I was brainstorming last night, what, projects, even if they're not daily projects, what, you know, project I could do something once a week, um, for two, for 2019. Cause, um, cause I miss doing that. I haven't done it in a, in a couple of years. Um, I do draw, um, outside of my art practice, not every day, but almost every day. And that often happens in front of the television at night. So, 
Um, I love watching like crime dramas. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. Um, so I'll get hooked into some TV series and, um, I just, I draw digitally now. And so I just grab my iPad and go with my partner and sit in front of the television and, um, and draw and watch television. Cause it's something I can do sort of at the same time, ex- unless the program is in a different language and then it's really hard cause you have to watch the subtitles, but, um, I do draw really frequently. And so a lot of the work you see like on my Instagram feed that is personal work and not client work is just stuff I do outside of my work day. And, um, and if I go for three days without drawing, I feel weird. Um, so even though it's not like a regular project, like I'm drawing the same thing every day, um, I definitely draw very frequently, um, just out of habit and, um, and out of joy. Like I just love doing it. Mm. Yeah. Cause I've seen, um, your sketchbooks and they're like finished works of art. Like I don't know, just all the, I, I saw a video of you flicking through one in, during an interview yeah. and it was just like, wow, they're, they're amazing. But one thing I've Thank also you. noticed with you is, is that you've got an identifiable style yet you switch it up so much. Like you got so many different ideas. Like, um, like how do you go about generating so many different ideas? Well, first of all, I get bored really easily. So I sort of force myself to, um, I like make a, you know, a solid number of works in a particular style or using a particular color palette. But eventually I feel like, Oh, I've, been doing this I'm gonna change it up and people I think one of the most common questions I get from people is um how do like how do you know what to draw like how do you come up with your ideas and for me I'm I'm sort of constantly thinking about what I want to draw it's almost the thing whether I'm at the gym or laying in bed at night trying to fall asleep or um, in the shower or walking the dog. It's always the thing that's on the back of my mind is like, what idea do I have for what I want to create? And I do think that's probably true for most artists. Like all of us are thinking somewhere in the back of our brain, what's next? And it might be some iteration of the same thing we drew yesterday, but it might be something completely new. And so I'm always thinking about it and I'm always looking for inspiration. And, and then when I find an idea, I write it down because the problem is like we often have ideas, but they're fleeting, right? Or we don't have time to execute on it because we're really busy. And so one of the pieces of advice that I give people is write down everything, even if you think it's a bad idea, just write down every idea because you never know where it will lead. And since we often censor our ideas, like we get on some, we have a big brainstorm and then we start to say, oh no, that would never work. Or, oh no, I can't do that because so-and-so already did it or whatever. And we immediately start to, to censor or put down our own ideas before we even give them a chance. And so I work really hard not to do that, to just sort of write down every idea that I have. And then when I'm 
in a place where I have a moment, I go back to that list and I look for, um, whatever it is that I wrote down. And, you know, right now in the United States, like there's a lot of political turmoil. And, um, so my mind is very frequently on that because you can't escape it here. And so a lot of my work has to do with that because it's just what's happening in society right now. Um, uh, but I also am interested in lots of other things. And so my what I draw and paint tends to come just from my normal, natural interests. The things in the world that I find beautiful or interesting are the things that I tend to make art about. And um, and so I always tell people, like, if you don't know what to draw, just brainstorm lists of things that are interesting to you. Like, what are you passionate about? And then make art about that thing. Um until you get bored and then think of something else. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And so do you also um, like, you know, create art that you, you want to be doing as well? Like say you're doing client work, you create a, a bunch of art that, you know, that, that you want to be painting and then you start showing that to the clients as well and see if you can tie it in with a project. Yeah, for sure. So, so because I make so much personal work because I'm like always drawing at nighttime while I'm watching television, um, I end up putting that stuff in my portfolio and on my Instagram feed. And so then it ends up leading to client work. So, so much of the client work I get comes to me because people are interested in having me recreate something that I made just because I'm interested in it. And I, a lot of people ask also like, what's the best way to get client work? And I think one of the best ways is to just do what you want to do and like go with your own crazy ideas. And then you never know what will come from that. It, it really is amazing um, when you can put your work into the world and then just sort of see who's attracted to it. And um, oftentimes who's attracted to it are people whose job it is to hire artists to illustrate things and or to, to make paintings that go in a building or whatever. And all of that has happened for me because people have enjoyed the work that I made for myself. Um, and so that's a really a great way to try to, you know, to, to sort of generate interest in your work is not making work because you think other people will like it, but making work that you want to make and then finding your audience based on that. Yeah. Um, I first came across you via the, um, the courses and workshops you offer. Like, do you, yeah. do you feel like through, through teaching and, and giving back, um, you know, like, you know, uplifting the, uh, the art community? Like, do you, do you feel uh, it enriches your life and your um, career through, by doing that? Yeah, a hundred percent. Like I, I, I think that I first started, te- I was really resistant to teaching when I first started. In fact, the creative bug was one of the, so I teach on creative bug, creative live Skillshare. And then I have a handful of classes on my own website and creative bug was the first online learning platform to approach me. And I remember the woman who was the head of creative bug at the time, she's no longer there. Her name's Kelly. She came to me and she said, we'd really like you to teach classes on our platform. And at that time, creative bug was this new online learning platform. And I said, you know what? I'm not interested. It's, I'm not interested in being in front of the camera. I don't want to share my process. I just don't see what this is going to do for me. Like, Nope, sorry, not interested. And she kept, she was persistent (laughs) and she kept coming back to me like four months later, she'd say, Hey, I'm just going to, you know, poke you a little bit and see. So finally I was like, okay, I will, 
I will record a class with you. And it was a really enjoyable experience and they make really beautiful videos. And so I was really happy with the product that came out, i.e. the class. But I think what kept me in the game was the response that I had from other people. You know, oh, you're such a great teacher or I love this class. And um, and so I went back and taught another one. And then I started expanding to other online learning platforms and teaching business classes. And um, I got such a great response from them because people were saying that they were learning things and that they appreciated the knowledge that I was sharing. And I had this real sense of, of giving something back. I know myself, like I would not be where I am were it not for the generosity of the people who helped me get here. Um, because I'm self-taught and because I kind of came into the art world, not knowing anybody or anything, I had a lot of people who are like angels to me. They, they kind of showed me, um, how things were done or explained things to me that helped me build certain parts of my business. And I wouldn't be where I am without them. And I really feel like it's good karma in a way to like be that for other people. Um, I think a lot of times we have fear that if we share too much that, um, that, that whoever we share it with is going to sort of like overtake us or that there isn't enough to go around. Right. And, um, I think I get more from sharing than is taken away from me. So I'm all about sharing knowledge and skill and I enjoy seeing how that impacts other people. Mm. Yeah. I'm a big believer of the more you give, the more you get. And, um, yes, you know, I've, I've even like, I've interviewed people on, on, uh, this podcast and the, I found the most successful artists I've interviewed are the ones that are just like, yeah, this is how I do this. So this is how I do that. And it's, um, and I, I know other artists who like to play their cards really close to their chest and, I find that the what the people who are more open to sharing like actually are more successful and it's sort of I don't know I've, I've I've I see lots of different areas in my life where it's the same you know even with money it's like if even if I'm having a month where I don't have a, a lot of money even if I'm generous with my time and with my money and with anything like things start to sort of open up for me it's um I don't know I can't explain it it's it's good, yeah though. some people call it like <laughs> paying it, paying it forward or karma or whatever. And I am a true believer. Like, I think that there's this natural instinct to, to think of things in terms of being scarce. Like if I give this away, then I'm not going to have as much for myself or somebody's going to take this from me as opposed to b abundance where like, if I have this thing and if I share it, then it's going to be good for everyone. And when I was pretty um, new in my career, I signed with an illustration agent. We're no longer, she no longer represents me. I work on my own now, but I worked with her for six years and she was a really wonderful woman. And she used to say constantly, cause she represents, you know, about 35 to 40 artists. And she'd say, what's good for one is good for all. So if one of my artists has a good experience or opportunity, that's good for everybody. And it took me a while to sort of understand what she means, but but I really get it now. Like, um, just because you're having success doesn't mean that it's less success for somebody else. Mm. Right. Like that if we all are successful in this world of like entrepreneurial creativity, um, it's going to be good for everybody. And so I feel like it's benefited me more to contribute to that than to hold all of my knowledge and skill close to me. Yeah, totally.
So with your uh, with your courses, what what sort of subjects do you cover? With my causes, courses. Um, oh, courses. Yeah. Um, okay. With my courses, I I cover lots of different topics. Like my business courses, which are mostly on Creative Live, I have a class on. Um, big class that's sort of based off of my book art Inc. that's called becoming working artist. And it's really like, this, I think it's like, like 19 or 20 hours of content on, um, building your art career or sort of like all of the components that you need to think about in terms of building your art career. Um, then I have sort of smaller classes on there. One is on working with clients. One is on time management, productivity. I have a handful of classes on my own platform and my website that are about, you know, simple things like executing an illustration assignment, building a portfolio that is going to attract people to your work um, and things like that. I've got, um, oh, and then a a class on a topic we were, that you and I were talking about earlier, which is idea generation. Like how do you come up with ideas and different methods for doing that? Um, I have one class on Skillshare that's about, you know, um, it, that's about illustration. And then I have a bunch of classes on creative bug that are mostly drawing challenges. So this idea of like taking a topic and going with it for a week or a month in your sketchbook or, you know, wherever, you know, on whatever drawing medium. So practicing your drawing skills over a period of time. And those classes are super simple. They're very much for beginners. Mm. That's good. Yeah. That's great. And and on top of that and everything else, you've also uh, got eight books out, including the uh, <laughs> Essential Guide to Building Your Career as an Artist and A Glorious yes. Freedom, like older women leading extraordinary lives. Um, where did the inspiration come from to start publishing books or creating well, books? Well, my... Yeah, my first book, very first book, was published with a really small publisher called Uppercase um, Publishing, and they're in Canada. They mostly make this magazine called Uppercase Magazine, but um, the woman who runs that magazine also um, publishes small runs of books. And I had done this project in 2010 called A Collection a Day, and where I photographed, um, I have collections of weird things. Um, small ephemera office supplies, things like that. Schools, old school supplies, um, vintage things. Um, and so I started photographing them in 2010, uh, sort of arranged neatly on an imaginary grid. And, um, about nine months into the project, she contacted me and said, I want to make this into a book. So that was my first book before anybody knew who I was or anything. And some of the collections were also imagined collections that, that I drew. And then I did another project in 2011 that I think I mentioned earlier called 365 Days of Hand Lettering. And that project also led to a book of hand-lettered quotes. So my very um, first two books started with personal projects that I did for an entire year. And then from there, um, that book, which is called Whatever You Are, Be a Good One, the second one, which is a book of hand-lettered quotes, is a is a bestseller. And because I had a book that sold really well, (laughs) once you have a book that sells really well, the publisher um, tends to want to work with you again. So then I've gotten to work on a few other projects with that publisher. Um, Even kind of uh, projects that 
we knew weren't going to sell a ton, but that were more personal projects for me. So I've been really lucky and that a lot of um, uh, my opportunities have sort of come my way. And then from there, I've sort of grown other projects. I do work with a literary agent now, and she often um, pitches me and my work to um, to publishers. Recently, I started working on a children's book. So another person wrote it, but I'm going to be illustrating it. And um, that opportunity came because I have an agent who who um, who advocates for me, which is a really great thing to have. Um, so they come to me in different ways. And occasionally I'll pitch an idea to a publisher. And sometimes they're like, no, that's a bad idea. Sorry. <laughs> but occasionally they're like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's make a book contract. So um, I'm always seeming to be working on at least one book at a time. Right now I'm working on four. So, wow. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, they have really long timelines. So... Um, it's, it's, they're pretty generous. Um, I get to, and because I'm making money doing other things, I'm not relying on the income from the books to pay for my time. So, you know, most of my just general living expenses I make from my Etsy shop, um, so that it really allows me to take on these long-term projects where I'm not going to see any money for a long time, which is great. It's a, it's a nice place to be. Yeah, you're really fortunate to be able to, um, you know, bring out so many books in this day and age. You know, like people said, you know, for years people were saying Prince Dead. I know it's making a, a comeback, yeah. which is really good. But, um, yeah, you're really, really fortunate because a lot of artists, like, want to okay. see their work in print. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I feel very lucky. Yeah. yeah. So um, we've, uh, we're going to enter the uh, rapid fire section of the podcast. Um, okay. Are you ready? Yes. Good. <laughs> So, um, name one artist you think deserves more shine. I am currently in love with the work of Agatha Singer. She's an amazing French illustrator who lives in Paris. Um, and I just really love her work and her palette. Yeah. Cool. I'll have to look her up. Um, what's one medium you'd love to work with? Ceramics. Sorry, ceramics. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I've been playing around with it a bit. It's hard, <laughs> and you need. I know. A kiln. Well, I'm a, I am about to buy a kiln, so we'll see where this goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The good thing is, is you can you think it up. You can just do it. It's. Um, have you been playing with the uh, around with that like self hardening clay? Have you ever used that? No, not yet. No. Should it, I? Yeah, it's good fun. It's it's good. I think it's a good entry level uh, ceramics product. If you know what I mean, like you because you don't need to yeah. put it in the kiln. So what I've been doing oh, is cool. um is making like little sculptures with it and then spraying them with like chrome spray paint and it's like I've got these little oh. silver silver figurines like people look at me look at oh. them and go oh wow you know did you have you, been, you make that yeah. yeah have you been making like um you know working with metal and it's like no it's just self hardening clay and chrome spray paint <laughs> interesting but, um, I'll have to check that out yeah it's really cheap as well so it's good to play around with and then and then you know when you start doing the more expensive work it's not uh you know you've had a bit of practice you know yeah 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 um who's your favorite artist Alexander Gerard cool good surname <laughs> same as yeah <laughs> <laughs> but, oh um, yeah uh is that a he or a she he yeah um he's um a very well-known um designer and artist in the mid-century 
he did a lot of work for the Eames, um, uh, for Ray and Charles Eames, and um, he's a pattern designer. And uh, I just, um, if you look at his work, you can see what you can definitely see the influence. He's very inspired by folk art, and so am I. Um, and yet, his work is very modern um, and timeless. So he's he's definitely my favorite artist. Oh, cool. And um, what's one skill you wish you had? Animation. Yeah. YouTube yeah, I want to learn how to animate my work. <laughs> yeah, I know. I if, in that that moment, I actually I think I need to go on like a self-imposed sabbatical, which is like or like take two weeks off not to not work, but to learn something new because I'm so busy that I don't have time. Um, but I feel like I need to make the time because I do feel like animation is the future for illustrators. Mm. So. Yeah, and it, it, it's good that you've already got um, like a lot of knowledge of um, creating work digitally as well because uh, yes. I've spoken to other artists who, who are just from a painting background and they say, I want to learn to animate. And it's like, well, do you know how to use any of the Adobe packages? And they'll say exactly. no. And it's like, oh, well, you've yeah, really I got do, a long way to go. <laughs> yeah, I do have a little bit of a head start. So. Yeah, yeah. And um, what advice would you give your younger self? Um, stop blaming yourself for everything. Nah, good one. <laughs> I think we can all uh, take that on. Yeah. Yeah. And um, what's a dream project for you? Um, I would love to do the cover of the New Yorker magazine. Yep. It's a bit That's of, a big deal here in the United States. In the United States, it's probably a big deal all over the world too. So. Yeah, I think a lot more in the United States. Of um, you know, I've, you know, through working for design companies and sourcing illustrators, I've seen um, you know, a lot of illustrators. I'd be really proud that they've had the cover of the New Yorker, and it's um, you know, a big yeah. thing for them. It um, is. Yeah. So, uh, where are you wanting to take your art career? I know you've taken it so far already, but. Uh... <laughs> well. It- it probably won't surprise you to hear that I want to do fewer projects and have more space to explore totally new things. I mean, just in the last two minutes, we've talked about animation and ceramics. And, you know, I think that like where I really want to head is back to this place where I have, you know, um, more time to, to try some new things and to just sit back and explore a little bit, because I think that's one downside of being a really busy working artist is that, um, is that you don't have time to, to be truly creative and like really learn something new and really experiment and get out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Definitely. And I'd love to do that. Yeah. There's always that, um, that like thought of I've got to make money in the back of the head. And it's, yes. You yep. know, when you look at new skills, it's like, well, I'm not going to make any money off that. <laughs> Not for a while, anyway. Exactly. So uh, I'll just exactly. focus, I'll just stick to what I'm doing over here. But um, yeah. Um, do you have any uh, future plans or projects? Well, at the moment, I I think I mentioned this earlier. I'm working on four books. Mm. So, like for the foreseeable future, um, the one constant in my life is working on books. So one of them is a is a book is a kids book for toddlers. Um, it's a very simple like toddler book like for you know two and three year olds um and then i'm working on another kids book for older kids kids like uh, seven to 14 that's on the periodic table of elements so it's a science book it's it's written already i just illustrating it um 
And then I'm working on a book that comes out. Well, I'm done with it mostly, except we need to do the cover. Um, comes out um, next year. It's on um, finding your creative voice. So it's a it's a book for artists um, about kind of like honing honing your voice. Um, and then um, and then I have another book that I'll start next year that is another sort of inspirational book about just sort of like life advice and inspiration. So, um, that one will be heavily illustrated, not as many words. Um, so yeah, so I'm, my plate is full and then always I'm making personal work. I'm always painting, I'm drawing work for myself that, um, that always ends up turning into something. Uh, although often I don't know when I start it, what it's going to turn into. <laughs> Yeah, you said um, you're making a book on finding a creative voice. Like for the listeners out here, um, have you got like one bit of advice you could uh, give them on finding their creative voice? I know we're all we're all looking um, for it. Well, it's it's something I sort of addressed earlier, which is just just um, commit yourself to engaging in personal projects constantly. Like, um, think of something that you can do every day for a month, or every day, every week for a year or even every day for a year, if you have the time, um, you know, and think of a constraint for yourself. Like if you want to get really good at becoming a portrait artist, like make a portrait every, you know, once a week or every day for a year. Um, or if you want to get really good at some kind of particular style of illustration, like practice that thing. Uh, there is no way to develop your voice without, discipline and actually showing up and doing the work like it just doesn't magically happen the only way you can develop your skill and the only way you can develop a perspective is to just constantly be making stuff and when you do that your voice gets honed um and it emerges it takes a while sometimes um and so you know just just show up and make art as as often as you can that really is like my um, 30,000 word book in uh, one paragraph right there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks for sharing. Um, You're welcome. Where's the uh, best place for people to see your artwork online? Um, I think the most consistent uh, wide array of the work I do is on Instagram. Um, it's just my name at Lisa Congdon. And um, of course my website also has, all of my books, all of my classes, my portfolio, and, um, you know, all the podcasts that I've ever recorded and interviews that I've done all in one place. So either my website or Instagram are great places to learn more about me. Okay. Well, um, thanks a lot for taking the time to have a chat. It was my pleasure. Thanks again for tuning into another episode of Bench Talk. To view images of the guest's artwork, follow us on Instagram at bench underscore talk or go to benchtalkpodcast.com. If you want to stay up to date with the latest episodes, subscribe via iTunes or follow Bench Talk on SoundCloud or Stitcher. If you like the podcast, don't forget to tell a friend. And thanks again for tuning in and stay tuned for next week's episode. See ya.